You can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, not the book of Mark. So flip over with me to chapter uh, 12 of 2 Corinthians, uh, and we will uh, dive into this together, take a maybe a few-week little break in the book of Mark as we dive into some things that I feel may be important for us as a faith family. Uh, just been on my heart lately that um, I have felt a sense of discouragement across my own heart and in the life of our faith family. And I wanted to speak uh, a sermon that maybe I needed to hear this morning more than maybe you did, but my heart needed to hear it. And as I began to go through this week, just felt like it would be important for us to be reminded afresh and anew and uh, come outside the book of Mark, maybe for just a couple weeks, to encourage us, to send us onward and forward into the midst of a world that appears to be fallen, that the enemy appears to be all around. We weekly go through times of anxiety and frustration and physical calamities and infirmities and all sorts of things. And so here we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's start in verse 7. Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. As always, we ask your word to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our pathway, where we want to open our hearts to receive what it is that you would have from us in your word today. Lord, we want to, we want to be prepared and willing to uh, adjust or change But Lord, we want to walk out of here with solid truth, with a bedrock of faith to walk forward. Encourage us, Lord. Give us and restore again, afresh and anew, the joy of our salvation today. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing that you see on your outline, number one, is the thorn of great encouragement. That's a little bit of a play on words here that this thorn would be of great encouragement, but let's dive in for a moment to understand what this thorn may be and what made it look like. You'll see that Paul is given this thorn right after a discussion about his great revelation that he's received this wonderful revelation from the Lord, and he is essentially just thrilled and he is overwhelmed at this great revelation that he's received, and he's been given this thorn to keep from being conceited, a messenger, as the Bible says, of Satan to harass him. It almost feels a little Jobian here that this messenger of Satan would be allowed to harass Paul. He says it's a thorn in his flesh. Now, many commentators would say, uh, opposite what I thought as a kid, that this thorn almost felt like a, a splinter in the foot, right? We felt like that Paul's got this splinter in his foot, but most uh, uh, people who study the Greek would say that this is more like a stake in his side. It's not just some small little calamity in his foot that's just annoying. This is a stake in his side. This is not a small thing, but this would be a large, very frustrating thing to think about. And there has been much ink spilled about what that thorn is. 
Many commentators want to know what the thorn is so we can relate to it. We can say, if Paul went through that, I feel it, right? If Paul went through this thorn in the flesh and much ink has been spilled, what is this thorn? What is it? How do I relate to it? Commentary after commentary after commentary would give you what a different thorn that may look like, which I think is helpful. So before you get discouraged, most commentators would say, we don't really know, but there's good evidence about these different thorns. So let's examine them for a moment and see if maybe you would connect with any of these possible thorns that all have good place. Many would say that Paul struggled with mental anguish, that he he dealt with a thorn in his side of mental anguish of temptations that he was facing, that Paul wrestled with temptations in his flesh, things that he wanted to do, things that he was tempted to do by the enemies uh, to uh, dwell into. And so Paul dealt with a lot of mental anguish around the, the theme of temptation. Possibly that that mental anguish would include thinking about who he was in his past life. That, you know, Paul was a great persecutor of the church. And so there would be a lot of mental anguish thinking through who he used to be, that he persecuted the very people that he was now locking arms with. Can you think for a moment how Paul would have to be harassed by the enemies to say, Paul, don't you remember what you used to do? Don't you remember being there at the stoning of Stephen? Don't you remember all that you used to be, all the things that you used to do? Don't you remember all the pages that were written in your past? And so there would be some mental anguish at thinking through all the things that he used to be and grief over it. Some would say this mental anguish may be over the unreceptivity or the inreceptivity of those he was preaching to. That Paul is pouring his heart out to people constantly, yet the people are not getting it. They're not changing. Their hearts are not coming alive. And so you feel possibly on one hand that this thorn in the flesh was just a a mental anguish over so much that he was experiencing. Anybody relate to that thorn in the flesh of just mental anguish over your past, frustration over people not coming to faith, or maybe grief over your spiritual temptations that you thought you would be further along at this point? Still other commentators would say that this thorn in the flesh would be physical pain, a thorn literally in his flesh, a physical pain or infirmity in himself that would be so frustrating. Some would say it was possibly his eyes were having pain or there he was trouble with eyesight. You could see in one of the end of his letters that he said, see my hand and Paul writing in these big, large letters because his eyesight was very poor. Others would say that he had stomach issues or pain in his body that was just constantly frustrating him, constantly reminding him of this thorn in the flesh that was sent to harass him. Anybody fall in that category of a thorn in your flesh, a physical frustration and physical pain that you're feeling that just hurts over and over again? You're just sick and tired of it. Still others would say that this thorn in the flesh would be opponents who are persecuting him. Everywhere he would go, you see scripturally that there's other places in which uh, a thorn uh, or an opponent would be considered a thorn in the flesh to always be harassing. As Paul would go and speak in different places, there were always false teachers coming to undercut what Paul was trying to present. And can you imagine for a moment, any place you go, there's always going to be your enemy saying, hey, he's wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Y'all come my way. I got this thing figured out. He's wrong. He's not right. This guy's messed up. He's far off the pace. Can you imagine? Everywhere Paul's going, opponents, false teachers spring up and begin to say the opposite, begin to pull people away from the truth. Still others would say that it's demonic forces who are against Paul constantly harassing him. So in that, you could see 
That if it was any one of these things, you may say, well, Paul struggled with that. Well, I don't. Well, in the end of the day, Paul essentially struggled with almost every single one of these things. And so when we feel the thorn in the flesh, we are connected here because we understand that we all at times have these thorns in our flesh, things that we pray over and over again that God would remove. You see verse 8, that three times Paul pleaded with the Lord saying, Lord, please take this thorn away. Please, I'm begging you, Lord. And you see that the Lord does not take this thorn away. It's in this moment that it would be good for us to pause and just be reminded that we've spent several weeks looking at men and women who have approached the throne of grace, approached the Lord, and said, Lord, please. And the Lord is healed. We've looked at the Syrophoenician woman who came to the Lord and said, Lord, please heal my daughter. And the Lord healed. We've got Jairus who came and said, Lord, please heal my daughter. And the Lord healed his daughter. In other places, and that the friends pulled the roof away and lowered the friend down into Jesus, and Jesus healed. We see place after place in which Jesus healed. But here we come to Paul. In the New Testament, besides Jesus, there are few people who would rank higher than Paul. And this man wrote most of our New Testament. This man is called by God on the Damascus Road. He changed his life completely to be an ardent follower of the Lord in prison, doing everything the Lord had called him to do. Three times pleads with the Lord for this thorn to be removed, and it does not. So we're again reminded, friends, that we can do everything the Lord's called us to do and still struggle in some ways. And so why did Paul plead? There's different things and different motivations that would call, cause Paul to plead. Can you imagine any one of these things that Paul would plead out of mere frustration? Can you imagine if you had a thorn in your flesh that you would plead, Lord, take this away from me, please. I'm tired of dealing with this. If it's his eyesight, if it's opponents everywhere he's going, if it's mental anguish, if it's any of these things, you see Paul just saying, Lord, please take this away. This is frustrating. It's knocking me off the course. Just please take this away. I mean, how, how many times have, have we prayed a similar prayer? Even in this last year and a half, how many times have you been on your knees saying, Lord, please, would you take COVID-19 away from the face of our planet? Lord, please, we are begging you, just take this thing away. We're sick and tired of dealing with it. We're seeing, sick and tired of seeing so many ramifications and so many people sick and hurting. Lord, we're sick of it. Please just wipe it off the face of this planet. How many times have you prayed for an eradication of cancer off the face of this planet? We come to these things, and it's just mere frustration that we live in a fallen world. And Lord, we're praying, Lord, would you take these things away? And so Paul would plead out of mere frustration, saying, Lord, I want these things away from me because they're frustrating. It's a messenger of Satan to harass him. And he's praying, Lord, I'm tired of the harassment of Satan. I want it gone. Please, Lord. We also see that Paul would pray, understanding that this thorn would likely impede the gospel going forward. I feel in Paul's frustration to say, Lord, I, I want this thorn gone because I want to follow you. This makes it difficult to, to read. It makes it difficult to go where I'm supposed to go. It makes me lay down flat on my back because this thing is painful. Lord, this is not allowing me to do the things that I've been called to do. But you see even equivalent to Paul's writing in Philippians 4 that when he's in prison and everybody's saying, Paul, the gospel has been stopped, Paul would say that nothing would it stop the advance of the gospel. So even as Paul gets to his uh, response in verse 9. Paul's reminded that nothing, nothing would stop the gospel from going forward. Nothing. Not physical ailments, not infirmities, not calamities, not sickness, not persecutions. Nothing would stop the gospel from going forward. And so Paul, 
So he says what really happened here served to advance the gospel. Jesus is going to give him beautiful words that I want us to zoom in on in verse 9. As Paul pleads with the Lord, and this thing would not leave him, in verse 9, we see Jesus' response, and translated out more correctly, would say, and finally, the Lord gave an authoritative answer. The Lord gave in his authority a finally, he said. You see it on your outline, number two. My grace, man, this is good. My grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient, full, complete, not lacking. It is sufficient for you. Jesus would look at Paul and respond to him. My grace, Paul, it is sufficient for you. In the midst of your weaknesses, in the midst of your insults, in the midst of your hardships and persecution, in the midst of your calamities, my grace is sufficient, not satisfactory, but sufficient for you. We're reminded here what grace is. You've heard it many times and in many ways, this beautiful acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense is what grace is. That God has given what we do not deserve in grace to us. We've not deserved his grace, but he still gives it fully, riches, sufficient for us. It goes back to John 1.16 that we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace when we don't deserve it. He still gives it. And so Paul, pleading with the Lord, please, Lord, take this away from me. Paul begged for the problem to be gone, but what he found is a Savior who would sustain him, not the problem diminished. God gave Paul exactly what Paul needed in the midst of the thorn, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain and the hurt and the frustration. God gave Paul exactly what Paul needed, grace for the day, grace sufficient to cover his weaknesses. God's elaborate, expansive riches that came at Christ's expense. But it would even further that, my grace is sufficient for you. Number three is my power is made perfect even in weaknesses. That God would follow up this beautiful phrase, this thorn would not be removed, but my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Reminds me as Paul would later write in Philippians chapter four. This oft misquoted verse in scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul wrote that not to talk about winning a football game or uh, performing well in the athletic field. He wrote it in terms of facing hardships and calamities, that I can do all things through Christ it is who strengthens me. And so as you come down to the end in verse 10, you see, for the sake of Christ, then I am content. I can handle it with weaknesses with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. These are just incredible words that we can do all things through Christ, through Christ, not on ourselves, but in Christ who strengthens us. We can face the hardships, the calamities, the difficulties, the physical infirmities. We can face them in Christ because he gives his grace that is sufficient. And many may say at this point, well, There's a lot of boasting in our weaknesses. Isn't Christianity, isn't this gospel message just a crutch for those who are too weak? Isn't it just a crutch? I mean, it's not not strong. Isn't it just a crutch for you who are weak? And yes, it is. 
The thing that's bound us together as a faith family is the fact that we are admitting that we need Jesus, that we cannot do it on our own, that we cannot make it on our own, that we're not going to earn our way to heaven, that we're not going to do it apart from the work of the Lord in our lives. And so, yes, we are admitting that we need a crutch, and by God's grace, it is a good crutch. See, I fear at times in my own life that I come and say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for it, Lord. I admit that I'm a sinner. Friends, where we get to this is boasting in our weaknesses to daily wake up and say, Lord, I admit that this day I cannot do it apart from your grace in my life. Lord, I cannot be the husband that I've been called to be. Lord, I admit that today I need your grace to cover my insufficiencies. I need your grace to cover my inadequacies. Lord, I cannot be who I've been called to be unless you give me your grace today. I can't be the father, Lord. I admit that I cannot be the father that I've been called to be. So, Lord, I need your grace to be sufficient for the day. It's not a one-time admission. It's not a one-time younger. And when we got baptized, to say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner, and so now I'm done with that. It is daily, depending on the Lord, to say, today, Lord, I admit to you that I cannot do it. And so, therefore, we are boasting in the fact that we are weak and that our Savior is stronger. You see Paul write again and again. My power, my power is made perfect even in our weaknesses. That we boast in the fact, yes, the Lord has done it. The Lord continues to do it. He continues to be good day in and day out. So if you turn over your outline, you see then, what do we know? As we walk out of here, we walk into the world around us, as we see this world of discouragement and this hardship and difficulties that we face on a daily basis, what do we know? What do we see the, the, the foundation by which we stand upon as we walk out into this world? What do we know from these passages? Well, we know Paul had a thorn. We know that he didn't get it taken away, but we know his grace was sufficient. Yes, we know that. But what else do we know? One, we know God hears What can you have assurance of as you walk out of this place is that God hears you. He hears you. As you see Paul pray three times, Lord, please, pleading with the Lord to take this away. We see that God hears and he answers. We see all throughout the pages of Scripture, friends, that God hears his people. He's near to the brokenhearted. He hears our prayers. He hears you. And if for a moment that you would believe, well, maybe he hears the person next to me, or maybe he hears my spouse, or maybe he hears Pastor Mark, but he doesn't hear me, can I tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God hears your prayers? He listens. His ear is attentive to your needs and to your prayers. So please, I beg you, and the whole council of Scripture would beg you to understand that God hears your prayers. As you cry out your needs, as you beg and plead and say, Lord, here's where I am. Here are the thorns that I'm facing. Here are the struggles that I'm walking through. You can know and be assured that the God of this universe who flung the stars into the sky, who holds your molecules together, hears your most intimate and your biggest of prayers. He hears every prayer of his people. Know it. Believe it. Rest in it. That our God would hear your prayers, but not only would he hear you, that God works, that God is not inactive, he's not uncaring, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We sing a beautiful song here, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. It's a beautiful line, and at times we can think great things he hath done. He has done incredible things in the past, 
But can I tell you, the song maybe should say great things. He is still doing to this day. He continues to work. He is continuing to move. He has continued to move his heart. There are story after story after story of God's goodness working in our world. God is at work, friends. He has not given up. He is not indifferent. He is caring and loving, and he is actively at work, even when we can't see it, even though at times we hold our hands up and say, Lord, I do not understand, but we know that he is actively and presently at work. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Somehow, somehow, in God's economy, this messenger of Satan, God worked that together for the good of Paul and the good of us 2,000 years later. Somehow God is working all things together. And at times, friends, we don't understand the thorns in our flesh. We don't understand the things that we see with our eyes all around us. But God hears, God works, and God provides. God provides. As Paul went to the Lord and begged and pleaded, saying, Lord, please let this thorn pass from me. Let this go. Please, Lord, would you reprieve this thorn from me? What he found is not the thorn gone, but again, a Savior who sustained him. And here we are 2,000 years later. When we plead with the Lord, when we beg the Lord, say, Lord, please, I need your help. We find a Savior who sustains. And what does that look like? A God who provides. It looks like a God who gives peace in the midst of our storms. A God who gives wisdom when we don't quite know where to go or how to do it. A God who gives joy in the morning. A God who would restore the joy of our salvation to us as we ask. A God who would put a new song in our heart. A God who would give comfort to the afflicted. A God who would give strength to the weak need. We see that God gives grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace to cover us when we are weak. God provides. What do we know? What do we walk out of here with? The fact that God hears, he works, and he provides. This week is, um, I was coming to the end of my sermon prep and trying to figure out what this would look like and just recognizing that this is at times difficult. But what does it look like in verse 10 to say, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, I'm content with insults, I'm content with hardships, I'm content with persecutions and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What does that, I mean, that's where I want to be, do you not? I want to be there to say, no matter if insults come my way, no matter if calamities and persecutions and struggle, no matter if those things come my way, when I am weak, then he is strong. What is that? What does that Paul, we see it. It looks like Paul living his life. But what is that for us? Don't we desperately want that? No matter what comes our way, we are trusting in the resolute goodness of the Lord. Last night, I, I had a conversation with our, our brother, Joe Watkins. Many of you know Joe. Joe is a reeler here in town, and Joe just oozes Jesus. Maybe that's not the right way to say it. I don't know. But Joe just is a, a light bulb of God's goodness everywhere he goes. I mean, you look at that man, and you say, that, he loves Jesus. Even if you don't know him, you just feel the love radiating of Jesus off of that man. This past week, Joe's had some, some, had some tough, tough goes. He's at his house, and he, he fell and broke his collarbone and tore his meniscus in his knee. That's rough. Collarbone, meniscus in the knee, never a good thing to endure. Joe's recovering from all that, and then uh, he was hit by a car 
rear-ended. Uh, you can imagine that collarbone and that meniscus in his knee not feeling too well getting rear-ended. And just as a cherry on top, the driver didn't have insurance. And so that's always a fun game to play. And so there's Joe with a hurt back from a car wreck, a meniscus that's torn and a collarbone that is broken, only to develop bronchitis. It's kind of feeling like Joe or Job, right? It's not sure at this point. But I texted Joe and I just said, Joe, man, I just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you. You're doing okay. Anything I can get you. Just love you, man. Uh, know that our church is praying for you. And in almost razor clarity last night, as I'm finishing this message, Joe responds in the same way almost that Paul did. For in my weakness, he is strong. Joe said, I'm good. He said, I've discovered over my life that during my darkest times, God's light shines the brightest. Over my darkest times, my most difficult of days, God's bright light shines even brighter. Essentially saying the very thing that Paul said. When I am weak, he is strong. His grace is sufficient for our difficulties. Friends, as I see a brother like Joe follow the Lord, trust in the Lord, what Joe has found over his life, not just this past few weeks as he has faced calamity, is time and time again, Joe can say he's okay because he trusts in the Lord and his grace is sufficient even in his weakness. Friends, that's where I want us to be. So trusting in the Lord, so assured of the Lord's goodness that when we walk through the difficulties and struggles, when the Lord doesn't quite answer the way that we think he should, we can say, when I am weak, he continues to be strong. Let's pray, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we are weak, but you are strong. Lord, you're stronger than we are. You're more powerful, you're more wise, you're more, just in every way, you're better than we are. So Lord, we admit that we need you. We admit that we can't save ourselves, Lord, but we admit that we, are, we fall short on the daily. Lord, thank you that even though you said these words to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Through the whole counsel of Scripture, we see that you also say it to us. That your grace is sufficient for every single one of us in this room. Even if you feel the enemy in this moment saying that the, your grace is not sufficient for me. Or we see clearly that your grace is sufficient for all. We thank you that your power is made perfect even in our weakest, even in our most desperate moments. Lord, you are strong. Lord, give us your peace, your patience, your, your goodness, your mercy, your comfort. And let us be encouraged by the fact that you hear us, you are at work, and that you do provide. It's in your good, holy, matchless name that we pray. Amen.